Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. As you are kind of bookmarking your spot in Ephesians chapter number 6, maybe keep a finger there, also find your place in Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, that's where the bulk of the message is going to come from this morning. We're going to kind of see an interesting uh, dynamic between the book of Ephesians and the letter to the Ephesians that we find in Revelation. So the last few verses of Ephesians chapter number 6 and then Revelation chapter number 2. The Bible says this, starting in Ephesians chapter number 6. It says, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. For the same purpose, that? that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice with me the last verse of Ephesians. It says this. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Before we go to the next passage, just to kind of get us what Paul signs off with. He first says, hey, uh, this letter, it mentions a man by the name of Tychicus. that He's also mentioned in the book of Acts and I believe in Colossians is the other place that he's mentioned, but Tychicus would have been the one that uh, Paul would have written these letters to the churches as he was in prison, handed them to Tychicus, and he would then take the letters and deliver them to these churches. And it tells us that he did so for the very fact that a man who had seen Paul, uh, that he could verify, no, trust me, Paul's doing great. Paul's ministering to the, uh, to the Roman soldiers. Paul's doing this. And that by his words, it says, they would be comforted. So that's kind of where we uh, get a sign off from Paul. But I just find it interesting. I'm going to read that last verse again. Because the, the last thing that Paul says to them is this. Grace be with all them that love the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Now, if you're there in Revelation chapter 2, let's read what is written about 34 to 35 years later to the very same church. It says this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith the, uh, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for a time that we have to gather together and to be together and to, Lord, search the scriptures together and see what you have for us from them. God, we truly ask that you would use your word this morning to lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, would you help us uh, to observe all things that are written in your word this morning so that uh, you might make our way prosperous and that you might give us good success by the fact that we've heard, we've listened, uh, and, and Lord, we've applied your word. God, I pray that you would uh, do that in our hearts and in our lives even this week. And we pray that it would honor and glorify you with every word that's said. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in college, I, I had this job at a, at a company called Kimray. And uh, it, it, I, it's not a... It's a big company down in Oklahoma, but you might, may have never heard of it. But what we did was, it was part of the oil valve industry. And what we did uh, in the job at Kim Ray was uh, we made parts, we created parts, we painted parts, we assembled parts, we packaged parts, and we shipped parts for oil valve, in, uh, for all kinds of oil valves. Uh, and, uh, and many of them, if you go anywhere, especially in the Midwest, and you see oil rigs going, and there's this big, huge red uh, valve in the middle of it, that's Kimray. And they're well known for, if you see a big red one, that came from Kimray. And it gets shipped all over the place. It was a monotonous job, though. <laughs> uh, as you can imagine, uh, not many valves change in how they function. And so every single time that we came to them, uh, the, the same parts were made. The same uh, color was used on every single one of them. The uh, same way that each valve was assembled, it was always assembled that way. Uh, every time that a certain valve came in, I was in the packaging department and we uh, had to hit a button. It was really cool. I, w I don't have time to explain all that it did, but we hit this button and this super like boiling magma temperature uh, I'll just explain to you because so, it was cool, okay? This like really hot liquid would come out and we'd throw it down in the box real quick and then it would turn into this huge foam in the, as, it, uh, as it cooled down in the, inside the box and then we would throw the oil valve back onto it and then put another one on top and before it could expand outside the box, we would hurry up and uh, staple the box together and then it, what would happen is the foam would then form around the valve so that when it got shipped, nothing would happen to it. And it was, it, in fact, we used them as, uh, on, I, we worked overnights, and so when you're working overnights, it's, it's tiring. And we would work sometimes up to 50 uh, hours a week overnights doing that. And uh, so in, in our lunch break, if we didn't want to eat, what we would do in the middle of the night is we would get the biggest one that would turn into foam, and we'd lay on it, and it would like form to us. And then we'd <laughs> sleep on our lunch break. It was great. But the truth was, it was a monotonous job. Everything was the same every single day, every single hour, every single thing that we did was exactly the same. It really didn't change much unless you took on a different job. Like if you had normally assembled and then you went to packaging, obviously that would change. But after a while, everything you found was the same. Well, what, what we ended up finding out after uh, working there for some time was that every once in a while, the company... They would have these special times where we were all reminded of the company motto, where we were given, once again, the uh, mission statement of the company, and it was a Christian company. I loved working for them because uh, in the mission statement of it, even though we were doing oil valves, uh, in the mission statement, it talked about glorifying God with what we did. 
And so even non-Christians and Christians were working there, but it didn't matter because the, the company themselves said, this is the mission, this is why we do things. And then at those events, they would give us all kinds of treats. At the Thanksgiving one, they gave us all a turkey for Thanksgiving. At Christmas, it was a ham. And as a like college student at the time, whoa, Woo, that was awesome, right? Turkey and ham all for, all for myself. But uh, the, what they realized, what Kim Ray realized was that at times, we, the workers, needed to be reminder, reminded of the why behind our work uh, so that we would uh, do the work less mechanically and we would do it more driven by passion and by a belief in what we were doing. And so they would consistently remind us of why we were doing what we were doing. Here's the mission statement. And, uh, and we needed that reminder so that it didn't become mechanical, but that we were consistently doing our job with passion. And I say all that to say that sometimes in the Christian life, sadly, this happens uh, where things start to become mechanical. The Christian life, we start to do, do what we're supposed to do, and, uh, and yet we do it devoid of passion or we do it devoid of love, or devoid, uh, uh, or detached, I should say, from the purpose and the mission of the church that Jesus Christ uh, gave us in the Great Commission. And it's those times when we find ourselves just kind of going through the motions, that we, we come to church on Sunday, we worship, we sing the songs, we might even lift our hands and clap and do things like that, and we listen to the preaching and we fellowship, and then we go back home and it's like we just kind of did it. We did church. It's the checklist type of uh, Christianity where we just do what we're supposed to do. We go through the motions, but it's completely detached from some kind of motivation of love for our Savior. And I think all of us might, uh, could probably say, yeah, that's happened to me at times, where I just kind of go through the motions and do uh, that which, which I'm supposed to do in the church or in my Christian life mechanically, uh, kind of detached from the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm, I'm doing it many times in the flesh. And what had apparently taken place uh, in the church of Ephesus was this very thing. Uh, and, and it's outlined for us in the book of Revelation, because it tells us that they were doing a lot. If you look at uh, Revelation chapter number two, it says that they had labored. Uh, they were doing and doing and doing and doing. They were uh, not just doing the right things, but they were uh, doing it consistently. They were consistently in uh, church, gathering together. They were consistently ministering to one another. They were uh, practicing their spiritual gifts within the church. They were using their talents for the Lord. They were laboring uh, every single day and every single week as a church. They labored, and it says they were patient. Uh, the word patient there means they were enduring. They had endurance. They had endured for these 34, 35 years uh, as a church. And in a place where it was consistently cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians, that would have been hard to do. To stick with it when you consistently have people against you. The government was against them in Ephesus, uh, they, and yet they were patient with those who wished to do them evil. They, they endured. It even says that they tested those who said that they were apostles. And they tested them up according to the scriptures and found out which ones were liars or not. <laughs> and said, no, 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 you don't have apostolic authority. Uh, and, and then people like Paul would come through and they would say, this person has apostolic authority. And, and they found some people to be liars. They tested them according to the scriptures. They were intolerant of evil, it says, of false teaching and of false teachers. But at some point, it tells us in Revelation chapter two that at some point, 
going through all of these things. They had all orthodoxy right. They knew what they believed. They knew uh, everything about the, the, the deity of Christ and, and what an apostle should be and, and how we should be doing things in the church. They knew all of that, but at some point, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the, when it says uh, the one that comes in uh, holding the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It's talking about Jesus Christ himself who walks in the midst of the church and he does so today as well. The Lord Jesus Christ comes into the church and sees what is taking place in his church. And at this time, he says, hey, I see you're laboring. I see you testing those who say they're apostles and finding out they're liars. I see you doing all this, but there's one thing that I see that I don't like. And here's what it is. You left your first love. You're doing a lot, but you're doing it without love. You're, you're doing all of this, but you're not doing it with love. It even goes on later uh, in, that we read it, that uh, they hated the work or the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus also hated. Uh, it, it's, there's reason to believe, we don't know this for sure, but there's reason to believe that this type of doctrine happened or uh, kind of took place from the man Nicholas that we see in Acts chapter number six, one of the deacons that maybe he uh, got off track. And, uh, but what we do know, that, that's some speculation there that people have said, but what we do know is that the Nicolaitans had, uh, uh, it was a sect of Gnostics, that they believed uh, that we have to find a way to take the Bible and make it acceptable to the world, to, to find a way to uh, make it adaptable to the world, to, to find a way to do what we do and to make it attractive, not by uh, the spirit by which we have it, but by using uh, the, uh, well, here's an example of what would have probably taken place in Ephesus. Uh, we know, as we've studied uh, the book of Ephesians, that much of the worship that took place in Ephesus was in the temple of Diana. Uh, who, there was sensuality all throughout their worship. There, were, there was prostitution. There was all of that as part of their worship. Nicolaitans would have come in to say, I bet if we did that for Jesus, <laughs> that, uh, that people would probably come to church. And, and, and the uh, Ephesians, they said, forget that. Get out of here. We hate that stuff. We hate that mentality. And Jesus says, I also hate that mentality. So good job on that. But yet, even though they were so strong in their stance and they consistently uh, uh, endured uh, despite those that were coming up against them and all the world around them and the false teachers that tried to infiltrate the church, although they endured all of this, the one thing that Jesus says to them is you're doing it without a deep devotion to me. You're doing it, but without devotion to me. And how the church, I believe, today needs to heed this warning as well. We need to understand that orthodoxy, knowing what we believe, and service is not enough. God wants our heart. He does. And at some point, this church at Ephesus had transitioned to a mindset of this is what we do rather than this is who we are and this is why we do. In the book of Ephesians, we've seen as we've studied all of it that Paul is basically saying this, this is who you are in Christ and this is how it's lived out. And here in Revelation, we see, man, you guys really know how to live it out, but you've forgotten who you are. And so let's just uh, kind of diagnose, we've seen the diagnosis, let's see now how do we fix how were they told to fix and how are we told to fix in those times where we're doing the work 
but maybe detached from our love and devotion to Christ. How do we get that right? And it's very simple. Three words that I believe we see in the passage in Revelation chapter 2 that, uh, that, that Jesus says to the Ephesians, here's how you get back in love with me. First of all, he says, remember. Remember. He says, uh, he says nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. He, he says, remember. Um, I was watching not too long ago that uh, old movie, The Lion King. <laughs> and uh, man, I was watching it. And I, 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 if you've never seen that movie, it, it, here's a kind of a little synopsis of it. There's a moment where this, uh, s- this character named Simba that you're following throughout the whole thing has grown up. And uh, he's been away from home for a long time. He uh, has run away from the problem that he thought he had caused. He thought he, he was the cause of his dad's death, Mufasa. And because of that, he abandoned his family in the process. He was, and, and as he's away, he, he starts to really feel like he has a grip on who he is and what he's going to do in life with his friends Timon and Pumbaa. And in the midst of that, an old friend named Nala shows up and starts to make him second-guess himself. Well, long story short, it brings him into an encounter with his father and with a crazy baboon named Rafiki, uh, but, but ultimately to his father who had died. And Mufasa, his father, says this. He says, Simba, you've forgotten me. And Simba says, how could, no, how could I? And he says, you've forgotten who you are and thus forgotten me. Remember who you are. And then the rest of the movie is him going back and fighting Scar, the one who actually killed his father, taking over the Pride Lands and taking over as rightful king over all of the land. And if you haven't ever watched the movie, go watch it. It's awesome, okay? But as I watched it and as I was continuing to study the book of Ephesians, I couldn't help but see a parallel here where oftentimes we do this and the Ephesian believers had gotten to a point where they thought they had a grip on the Christian life and how they were supposed to live it out. They were really laboring in ministry. They were calling out liars and they knew their theology, but there was something missing. They had forgotten who they were. And Jesus here is saying, you've forgotten me. No, how could we forget you? We're doing all of the things. And he says, you've forgotten who you are. And thus you've forgotten your love for me. At some point, the Christian life, the ministry of the church, it had transitioned from this is who we are to this is what we do. And oftentimes, the Christian life, it can become mechanical if we're not careful. It can uh, come to, we can come to the imperatives of Scripture, the things that tell us how we're supposed to live and the everyday commands that Scripture gives us. And we can, if we're not diligently working to maintain a close and loving relationship with the Lord, we can get into the rut of living the Christian life, going through the checklist, following all the mechanics and motions of the Christian life without the right motivation. And I believe that's why Paul often wrote in his letters the way that he did. As we saw in Ephesians, he first told the Ephesian Christians who they were in Christ and then from that gospel identity that they were to live out what chapters four through six entailed, which were all imperatives. Be uh, be separate from the world. Be uh, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit. Uh, uh, Children, obey. And all of these things, they were imperatives in scripture, but they all flowed from who they were in Christ. And Paul very often did that in his letters. And yet, 34 years later, the church at Ephesus looked good on the outside. And they were living the Christian life on the outside, but on the inside, there was no motivation of love. 
They had forgotten who they were. Friends, if we're going to make sure that we don't get to a point of just living out the Christian imperatives of Scripture without heart, if, we're not, if we want to keep ourselves from getting to that point, then we must not forget who we are in Christ. We must not forget our gospel identity. If you ever find yourself like the Ephesian church, doing all the right things without heart, going through the motions, living the Christian life mechanically instead of spiritually, then like Jesus says to this church in Revelation, take a moment and remember. Uh, remember, go back to Ephesians chapter one through three. I, I, I encourage you, anytime that you feel that you're doing so without heart, go back and read those first three chapters and remember that you're a saint. Remember that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Remember that you're chosen, that you're adopted. You, who was not a child of God, at the moment of salvation was then and henceforth to be known as treat, and treated as God's own child. You're accepted in the beloved. You don't have to try to live for the acceptance of anyone else in this world because Jesus Christ's work on the cross, you are accepted by God himself. You have forgiveness, all forgiveness of all your sins, forgiveness that never runs out, forgiveness that you cannot fully exhaust because it's limitless. You have knowledge. You don't have to fear the things that happen in this world because you have been given knowledge by God of where this is all going. You have an inheritance of a personal relationship with the almighty creator God. You can approach his throne at literally any time. You have the Holy Spirit you're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You have the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit at your disposal. You have the ability to get to know the Father and spend time with Him at any time on any day. You have hope for the future. You have a power source of the exceeding greatness of God's power according to the working of his mighty power that you can plug into and draw strength from at any time. You have been made alive from your previous state of deadness in your own sins, not by anything that you have done, but according to the mercy of Jesus. You have, adds, you have the salvation, the gift of God, according to not your works, but the grace of God. You have a seat in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. You who were once alienated from God's blessings are now in the blessings of God. You were brought in and brought near by the blood of Christ. You were an integrated into a family that is beautiful because it is diverse, Jew, Gentile, male, female, bond, free. It doesn't matter. We're all together in a beautiful family. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very dwelling place of God on this earth is in you. You are the place that people can go to to encounter God. You have a purpose in your pain and suffering now because before Christ, none of your pain and suffering made sense, but now you have purpose for that pain and suffering. You can dispense and display the grace of God through your suffering and have peace knowing that God is doing the work in and through you in those hard times. And none of this can be taken from you. All of that identity is true is about you forever. And your identity cannot be destroyed. It is indestructible. And that's just Ephesians 1 through 3. <laughs> Everything else in the scriptures that tells us about who we are, I'm telling you, if you can get back to remembering all of that, it will stir up love once again in your heart. It will. So if you find yourself living the Christian life without love, you're performing like a Christian, but without the true motivation of a Christian, then stop for a moment and remember. <laughs> remember who you are in Christ. But then there's another step. He says, don't just remember, repent. Repent. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. <laughs> just as there was a time where they had left 
or decided to leave their first love, there needed to be a moment in time where they repented of what had taken place. They might not have even realized that they had left their first love. But at some point, a decision was made. A decision was made to either not heed the Spirit's leading in a certain area. A decision was made to not study uh, the Word that day. A decision was made to not gather with the saints and, 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 or, or to pray to the Lord on that day. A decision was made at one point, which led to another decision and another decision and another decision. And at some point, they were going through the motions of Christian living completely devoid of love. And they, didn't, they, they might not have even realized it. But, uh, but, for, but God, what God is telling them here, what God is telling them here is that he doesn't just want their hands of service or their heads of knowledge. He wants their heart full of love. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us over and over that service, spiritual gifts, talents are of no effect of no value and of no profit to you or anyone else if they are devoid of love. Paul, he says, I could speak with the uh, tongues of men and angels, but if I don't have love, I sound like a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. He says, I, I could move, have all faith to move mountains. I could prophesy and preach. I could do all of these things. I could be very gifted and even use those gifts, but if they're devoid of love, their effect is none. And their, their profit is for me and for other people, is nothing if I'm not doing it out of love. The Ephesian church, they had gotten to a place where there was no love behind the things that they were doing and they needed to repent. They needed to take a moment, turn back to the Lord and ask him to forgive them. And my friends, if we ever find ourselves in a position of just going through the motions, we need to come to a place of repentance. Fall on our knees and cry out, God, I'm sorry, I've been living a life of Christian service in the flesh and it's all for naught. I need you and I need you to remind me of who I am and how much you love me so that I might serve you with all my heart. I believe what God says here about taking away their candlestick solidifies even further what we've said here at Ridgepoint several times that love is the only sustainable motivation. If anything else becomes our motivation, self-service, eye-service, a feeling or fulfillment of identity, uh, when anything other than love is our motivation, we will eventually grow weary in well-doing and we will faint. And what, what Jesus says to this church is, if you don't repent, your light's gonna burn out. And what we know from church history is that the church is no longer there. <laughs> Uh, the church at some point fizzled out and, and, and at some point at the, at the complete uh, working of the church and of even Ephesus as a whole just fizzled out. And what a stark contrast to what we see in Ephesians chapter 20, or I mean, sorry, <laughs> chapter 20. That's not that. Acts chapter 20 in Ephesus when Paul, uh, and we see Paul there, there speaking and the culture was, was shifting because of Christianity in Ephesus. People were getting rid of their witchcraft books and all of these other things because of the culture shift that the gospel had brought to Ephesus and yet how many years later and now to none effect. And so I, I believe when he, when he says this, it, it gives us a warning to know that if we're not doing what we're doing out of love, our, our candle's gonna burn out. Our light is gonna burn out. Love is what keeps the candle burning. 
and what keeps the light shining. So if you found yourself growing cold, living life apart from the motivation of a love for God and others, then please, we need to come to a point of repentance. And then they're told not only to remember and to repent, but then they're also told to return. Return to the first works. It says, uh, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works. Uh, First love is something special. It really is. For those of you who are married, you might remember that first love stage of the relationship. (laughs) It's a special stage of the relationship. Uh, There's so much romance and and mushy-gushy, yucky stuff, right? (laughs) At that first love stage. But it's special. I remember in college when Rebecca and I were going through that first love stage and the glow in her eyes when I first told her that I loved her and the feelings that I felt in my heart and what I saw in her actions as we wrote the cheesiest, and I mean the cheesiest of love notes to each other. I remember one Valentine's Day starting day one of February. We both had something for each other every single day, day one, day two, all the way up to February 14th. She had candy and soda and snacks, all with cheesy things glued to them, like I love you to pieces, glued to some Reese's pieces, uh, and gave me that. And she wasn't even bashful about it. At some points, I didn't even know when they were coming. I'd show up to the lunch line, and the cafeteria workers would announce, we've got something for Micah Bosworth, and would hand it to me in front of everyone, uh, some, some one of these things that had a mushy-gushy thing on it. And then that year, I, I gave her a puzzle piece every single day with a note. And the puzzle pieces uh, had a, the puzzle as a whole had a poem written on it. And she got one or two pieces of the puzzle each day all the way up until February 14th. And on February 13th, she could read the entire puzzle. And the last line of it was this, until we have the last piece of each other's heart. And on February 14th, I gave her the last middle piece of the puzzle that had a heart on it. And I know some of you are listening to this and going, bleh, <laughs> yuckety yuck, Right? <laughs> We are ridiculous, and I'll admit that, okay? But sure, our love has matured, okay? Sure, our love has matured, and I understand now that she feels just as deep, deeply in love with me when I, like, walk over to the sink and do all of the dishes without, of her, without her asking. Sure, I know that. But something that I've noticed is something, what really gets that glow in her eyes that I remember seeing in that first love stage is when I do some of the first works of the first love stage, <laughs> Like, one of those things that I did in the first love stage of writing notes to her and just leaving them random places, getting her a flower a day a couple of days in a row, things like that. And it just alivens that first love within both of us when we do that. I think this is why all the marriage experts always say, date your wife, right? Date your spouse. Make sure that you're dating. It's because to keep that love alive, one of the best ways to keep it alive in your marriage is to remember the things and do the things that made you fall in love in the first place. Well, here's the truth of the matter. Though our relationship with God matures over time and we realize deeper truths about scripture, about how he works, about theology and all of these kinds of things, though it does mature, nothing really stirs up that first love like the first works. You say, well, what are the first works? Think back to that time when you first got saved. What was the thing that, man, just first got you in love with the Lord? The gospel. Getting back to the gospel message. What, what really developed that first love in, in those days when you just, kept, you couldn't get enough? It was being in the word. It was praying and knowing that God was actually hearing you. 
and being a, uh, being a part of a, a church that every single time you came in, there was encouragement and there was challenge from other people and through the word and, and doing those first works that would uh, engage that love more and more and more in your life. But yet oftentimes we, like the Ephesians, we get caught up eventually in so many works that we forget the first works. And we, as a result, leave our first love. So if we find ourselves in this place where Christian life has become mechanical rather than spiritual, we need to reevaluate ourselves and go back to those things which first grew our love for the Lord. Get back into the word. Oftentimes when I see, when I see myself going through the motions or when I, I see other people and I'm counseling someone that has just, got, they feel detached from God. They're doing, they're going to church, they're doing all these things, but they feel detached from God. Oftentimes, the, the root of it is they stop spending time with him. They stopped doing the first works. And we need to, if we find our play, ourselves in this place, we need to stop, first of all, remember who we are. We need to repent. And we need to return to the first works. It's really interesting to me that this happened to the church at Ephesus. The Ephesian believers, as I studied even just the church history of Ephesus, they had some great influences. Like, the church at Ephesus sat under some of the greatest names in Christianity and in, in the Bible that we know. Like, they, they sat under the teaching of the Apostle Paul. They met in the house of a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They sat under the teaching of a man named Apollos who knew a lot about the word of God and then he was even taught from Priscilla and Aquila but they heard from men like Apollos. They, they uh, heard from men like Erastus and Timothy, people who traveled with Paul. We know that Timothy was the pastor of the church at, 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 for a good amount of time and even some church history tells us that even John, the apostle John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, that he and Jesus' mother Mary moved to Ephesus at one point and ministered there. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible people. Think about that. They, they were ministered by many of the apostles and those who were directly involved with the ministry of the apostles. And they stood and endured for all this time in the middle of the place where great is Diana of the Ephesians. And in the midst of an absolutely sinful and destitute place where all around them was temptation and corruption and tyranny of the Roman government and more, and they were still standing. And yet God still said to that church, I have something against you. You left your first love. You've turned into people who know what to do, but don't know why you're doing it. Paul to the Ephesians, as we said, says, this is who you are in Christ, and this is how you live like a Christian. And then in Revelation, Jesus says, you know how to live like Christians, but you've forgotten who you are. May we take heed to the letter of, uh, to the Ephesians in Revelation. May we take heed and remember that love is the only sustainable motivation to keep us going, to help us not to faint, to, to keep the candle burning and our light to shine. That love is the only sustainable motivation. And if you find yourself going through the motions, living the Christian life devoid of love, then may we take this three-step process, stop what we're doing, remember who we are, where we've fallen from, repent for what has taken place, and then return 
to the first works. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.